Well, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us in Oak Creek and those tuning in online and to everyone in Greenfield. Hey, thank you so much for choosing to make us a part of your busy Christmas season. Today we are in part two of our series called Ghosts of Christmas Past. And speaking of Ghosts of Christmas Past, there's a story I love to tell about every Christmas. And that is uh, when my daughter was two years old, my wife and I thought it'd be such a great idea to go and take her to go see Santa Claus. And, you know, she's excited and down for the idea at first. And we get her into the line and uh, she's excited. But as it comes to her turn, her excitement quickly turns to fear and she just starts screaming. And my wife, you know, is a great mom as she is. She tries to console my daughter and kind of like nudge her closer to Santa Claus. And she just kind of mouths at me during the whole time, like, take the picture, take the picture. So I grab out my phone and I think I got this at just the right time uh, because here's my daughter is being consoled by my wife, but look at Santa. <laughs> I mean, he is ready to cancel Christmas and uh, I think he's just done with screaming children. I love looking at this every Christmas season. Now I show this to my daughter and this is like her ghost of Christmas past. She's like, dad, just get this away. Just get this away. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll get it away. But uh, last week we kicked off this series uh, by looking at this big idea about Christmas. And that is there's just something about the Christmas time that tends to magnify what we're experiencing or going through the rest of the year. And this is why for many of us, Christmas time really is one of the most wonderful times of the year because some of the good things, they're just magnified. You know, if we got a new job or a new a spouse or a new kid or we move to a new place, like, like we just kind of enjoy those things more during the Christmas season. But many of us, we've also experienced the opposite side of this truth. And that is the not so good gets magnified this time of year as well. Maybe we lost someone we loved. Maybe we lost a job or we're struggling to make ends meet. Uh, uh, maybe there's this painful moment. It just gets magnified. In fact, for many of us, this is what the season does. It takes a painful moment that maybe we've experienced at some uh, Christmas past, or maybe there's this painful moment that gets kind of stirred up and brought up again around Christmas time, and, and, and it just kind of haunts us as we go throughout the Christmas season. And that's why we call these our ghosts of Christmas past, because these are these moments or these events or these memories. They just kind of get stirred up right now, and they just haunt us as we go through this time. Now, this is why we're on this journey together to kind of deal with these ghosts of Christmas past, kind of push past the pain that they, they cause us so we can find healing and more joy this Christmas season. And now I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, last uh, week I mentioned uh, that a couple years ago I was dealing with some of the things we're talking about uh, throughout this series, and I, and I just got some incredible insight uh, from people that I respected, but I also heard this series from Craig Rochelle and his team out at Life Church, and some of the insights that were just overall shared to me during that season were so helpful that I want to share uh, uh, these insights uh, with, with us here as we head into the season. Because uh, I said for this last week that my hope for us, um, both personally and as a pastor, is that we would not head into this Christmas season that is intended to be full of so much joy as we celebrate God's greatest gift to us in Jesus. And we just go and we just kind of fill the season up with so many painful events and memories that we miss out on the purpose of the season altogether. And so we're taking these two weeks to just kind of deal with these ghosts so that they no longer haunt us and so we can get the most out of this Christmas season. Now, if you missed last week, uh, last week, we dealt with the ghosts of those who, uh, of the pain that others have caused us. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go online or download our app, and you can catch up uh, that way. Now, today, uh, before we jump in, I want to I share this up front. 
for some of us, what we're going to talk about today, it might feel heavier than normal. In fact, for some of us, if we're like new to church or we're just kind of coming back to church, you know, for after a while, we might wonder, hey, do they always get, go that heavy? And, and, and the answer is, yeah, this feels heavier than normal because what we're going to talk about is, is so uh, relevant and helpful to us regardless of uh, whatever our faith background may be, whether we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus or not. But what we're going to talk about, it can be more haunting than the pain that others have caused us. Because what we're going to talk about is the pain that we have caused others. More specifically, we're going to look at this one thing that comes when we hurt others. And, and the thing that comes with this is this whole idea of shame. And I've once heard shame described as this soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. It's something that we feel when, when we hurt someone else or have caused pain uh, to, to another person. Now, now, often when we hear the word shame, we might associate this with the word guilt. And, and, and guilt and shame, they are related, but they are very, very different. In fact, I kind of think of it like a family reunion, where, where guilt and shame, they're like these cousins. They show up at the same family reunion, but they are very, very different people. In fact, uh, the fundamental difference between guilt and shame is this, is that guilt is tied to an event. This is something where we said, okay, I did something wrong, I hurt somebody else, I caused some pain. Uh, guilt's message to us is, you did bad. But shame, on the other hand, is tied to a person. And what shame does is it takes guilt's message of you did bad, and it twists it. And it twists it, so to speak, to say, okay, since you did bad, you are now bad. And shame tells us, you are horrible as a person. You are a bad person. You are inadequate, and you don't measure up. Uh, the best way I've heard this described one time is like, guilt is the wound, and shame is the scar. And I think for many of us, we can remember a time when we first experienced shame and we heard shame's message that said, you're a bad person. And for me, the first time I really remember experiencing shame was when I was 16 years old. When I was 16, um, I was dating uh, my first girlfriend, my first real girlfriend at the time. We were dating for several months and we dated throughout the school year and then the summer break came. And uh, for summer break, my school sent me to this conference uh, for high school students, and, and it was out of state at a college, and uh, I was the only one from for my school to go to this conference, and it was a week-long conference, and there were thousands of other high school students there. And uh, I didn't know anyone, uh, but I ended up meeting a group of people from a different state, and they kind of uh, invited me and included me in their group. And uh, there was this girl in this group, and, and let's just uh, make a long story short, I cheated on my girlfriend uh, with, with this girl. And I immediately knew what I did. I immediately knew what I did was wrong. And I, I got home from the conference, and I told the girl I was dating what happened. And she got hurt, obviously, and she rightfully broke up with me. And my friends and my family members, they're asking, hey, why did you guys break up? And, and, and so I told them, and they were like, oh, oh, Tyler, like, how could you do such a thing? In fact, I, I remember one family member coming up to me and saying, hey, Tyler, I am so ashamed of you because of what you did. And, and I, I did that, and I knew I was guilty. I knew it was wrong. And then shame came, and it twisted that message, and it just told me, you're bad. You're horrible. I remember waking up every day for several weeks throughout that summer break, just hearing that message saying, you, you're horrible. You're no good. You should never date again because of how bad you are. 
And that's what shame does. Shame takes an event that, that we did, we caused pain to someone else, and it twists that message from guilt that says you did bad, and it twists it to you are bad, and it begins to impact our identity. In fact, for some of us, we're dealing with this right now. Some of us may have told a lie to someone that we know or someone that we love, and, and we know that we're guilty. We know in that moment uh, we hurt that other person. And then shame comes along, it twists that message, and it tells us because you did that, you're no good. Or others of us, we, we've been spending time going on websites and looking at photos, and we know that this has been creating distance between us and our spouse and our significant other, but we don't want to talk about it. We're keeping that secret from everyone else, and, and shame comes in, and it just begins to lie to us and tell us different things. And, and one of the things that it sends to us is, you're dirty, you're inadequate, you're not enough. And then others of us, we've done some things or we've said some things, and, and, and we know the hurt and the pain that it caused others. And because of that, shame begins to twist that message to us and tell them, like, hey, don't let anyone know. Because if they know, they're not going to want you around anymore. They're going to kick you to the side. They'll never allow you into service again. Shame tells us you are a horrible person. And what happens is undealt with shame, it just begins to sink deeper and deeper and deeper inside of us and just continue to warp our identity in, in, into a place where, where counselors call, this is an unhealthy place, where, where our thought life is dominated by what we call shame-based thinking, where every single thought that we think about ourselves is related to this shame. And it begins to spill over into many different facets of our lives. In fact, it plays out in our lives in a few different ways. One of the first ways is, is we become vulnerable to perfectionism. Because shame tells us you're no good and you're not enough. And so we're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overcompensate. I'm going to get rid of this shame. And the way that I'm going to do this is by being perfect. And this is when we say things like, you know, good isn't good enough. It has to be great. You know, nothing but the best. You know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. Now, this is different than wanting to do well and to give our, our best effort. In fact, wanting to do well and wanting to give our best effort is a very, very good thing. But being vulnerable to perfectionism is very unhealthy because it's our way to kind of like overcompensate with shame's message. And what we realize is we can't be perfect at everything. And so if we try to be perfect here and perfect here and perfect here, we realize we're going to fall short here. And what shame is going to do is going to tell us, you're no good again which leads to the next part of shame-based thinking, where we become critical of ourselves and then critical of others. Because shame just tells us over and over again, you're no good, you're bad, you don't measure up, you don't line up. And ultimately what that leads to is us seeing all of our shortcomings, all of our faults, all of the times that we don't measure up. And we see this in ourselves, and then as a result, we become very, very hard and very critical in ourselves. And so all we see again is more of our shortcomings and more of our faults. And then what ends up happening is what psychologists call projecting our faults on others, where we take the faults and the shortcomings we see in ourselves because of our shame, and we just see that in other people around us, and we become very critical of them because of our shame. And here's how I've seen this play out in, in, in my life. When I was younger, uh, my family would give me um, a list of chores, and whenever I would not uh, complete those chores or not do the chores the way that they wanted, um, I would be called lazy. And they would say, Tyler, you're lazy. Don't be lazy. Quit being lazy because lazy is bad. Now, they weren't saying my actions were lazy. They said I was lazy. And so shame kind of took all of that 
And it just began to kind of like work in my mind where like lazy is just really, really bad. And so to kind of overcompensate for that, I would just want to be the hardest working person like I would know. And so whenever I would get into a room and, and we were doing work or something, I wanted to be the hardest working person there. And whenever I'd get tired or want to take a break or need some rest, I would hear that voice of shame say, don't be lazy. You can't be lazy because lazy is bad. And so I would be very hard on myself that way. And then uh, you fast forward a few years, and I'm serving with others, and I'm working with other people, leading other people, and others would, you know, need to take a break or need a time of rest, or uh, they take time off, you know, all very natural, healthy things. And I would see that, and I'd begin to think about them like, they're lazy. You know, they, 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 they just aren't working hard enough. Why are they so lazy? And, and, and it wasn't their fault, but what was happening was shame was uh, sending this message to me. I became very critical of myself, which led me to be critical of others. And then shame-based thinking, it plays over in our life another way. What it leads us to do is try to protect ourselves through self-defeating thoughts, where we begin to imagine the very worst uh, scenario, where we're like, oh, this conversation isn't going to end well that place, they would never hire me. She would never go out with me, you know. And so we just imagine the worst possible outcome. Um, and what it ends up doing is it ends up sabotaging our relationships and our opportunities before they even happen. Like if she won't go out with me, why would I even ask? Or if they're not going to hire me, why would I even apply for that job? It's just, we just begin to have those self-defeating thoughts over and over and over again. And for many of us, this is why Christmas time can be so difficult. Because we go to the Christmas table, and seemingly out of nowhere, our mom just lashes out at us. And we're like, whoa, why is she yelling at us right now? And, and it could be possible she's dealing with her undealt with shame. Or we watch our dad, and dad just kind of sort of excuses himself from the Christmas table, and he goes to the living room, and he pops open a bottle, and he just starts drinking again. And we, we just watch dad go, and he's just getting drunk again by himself, and our siblings and us, we're like, there he goes again, you know, he's doing his thing. You know, and, and we wonder, why is he doing that? Well, what he's doing is this is his unhealthy way to cope with his undealt with shame. Or our in-laws. They just keep, seem to keep like picking at us and picking at us and picking at us for the way that we raise our kids. And we're like, why are they picking at us that way, you know, for raising our kids that way? And the reality is, is maybe they didn't live up to everything that they hoped that they would live up to. And shame has began to impact their thinking. And because of that, they become very critical of us. Or how about ourselves? Have we ever found ourselves to be overly critical of our family members? Or, or have we just kind of had that self-defeating thought of like, Christmas is going to be the worst time ever. I'm not even going to go. And maybe that's because of our undealt with shame. And so, is there a way that we can overcome this ghost of Christmas past? Is there a way that we can overcome this shame and the shame-based thinking that comes with it? Well, if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can actually download one on your phone called the YouVersion Bible app. You can just download it at any of your uh, app stores. Or if you don't own a Bible at all, we would love to give you one as our Christmas gift to you. Just uh, stop by uh, the Next Steps area, just say, hey, I need a Bible, and they would love to give you one, and, and then you can be on your way. Now, uh, before we jump into 1 Corinthians, um, I want to set this up for a little bit. And that is, 1 Corinthians is written by this church leader named Paul. And, uh, and Paul, back then and even today, uh, for, for many followers of Jesus, 
He was like the guy. Like, like, like he's, apart from Jesus, he's like the leader. He's helped many, many, many people find and follow Jesus. In fact, Paul uh, went from place to place. He started many churches, and he led many churches. And so one of the things that Paul would do is he would write letters to these churches to help these other Jesus followers take steps with Jesus. And, and many of these letters, they've been preserved for us for, for these thousands of years. They make up our New Testament or a good portion of our New Testament. And, and what happens um, is that billions of people have read the letters of Paul for, for over the years. So Paul is very influential. He's this highly regarded uh, church leader. And, and this uh, church that's receiving this letter, they're in the city called Corinth. They were started by Paul. Like, Paul is their leader. So they hold Paul in this very, very high regard. Like, they really, really look up to him. And so Paul writes them this letter. They read it out loud. And they get towards the end of this letter. Paul begins to talk about all of these different individuals and how they saw Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. And as he gets to, through this list, he mentions himself. And then he makes this very peculiar statement about himself. Again, they look up to Paul as like their ultimate leader. And here's what Paul says. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so what, what Paul is doing, he's like, Hey guys, I know you hold me as this high leader, and I want you to know, I don't deserve to be this leader. In fact, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. And Paul begins to hint back to uh, his ghost of Christmas uh, past, so to speak. Uh, because uh, back in, in Paul's time, before he became a church leader, he was actually a leader of this religious sect known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for keeping the, these rules uh, to honor God. And they would look down on others who could not keep up with these rules. And they specifically wanted to end this growing movement of Jesus followers. And so uh, they, they wanted to end the Jesus movement because Jesus followers were not following their rules or their traditions or their beliefs at all. And so Paul, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go around. I'm going to arrest Jesus followers. I'm going to throw them in jail. And I'm going to even approve of some of them being murdered all in the name of God. And he thought he was honoring God by doing this. In fact, he made plans to go hike to another town to do this very same thing. And as he's hiking to this town to hunt down other Christians and to throw them in jail, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And here's what Jesus says to him. Paul was also known Saul at this time. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Meaning, hey, Paul, by you going around and arresting other Christians— and by throwing them in jail and even allowing them to, to be murdered, hey, Paul, that's not honoring God. In fact, that's hurting other people. And as a result of you hurting other people, here's who you're ultimately hurting. You're hurting me. So, Paul, you are not honoring God. But rather, Paul deals with our cousins. He realizes he's guilty. And guilt and shame are coming to him to speak their messages to him. And so Paul realizes he's guilty. He did bad. He hurt others. And we would expect shame to come right along to him and say, well, because you did bad, you are bad, Paul. I mean, you're horrible. I mean, look at these horrible atrocities that you have committed. I mean, if anyone would give in to shame-based thinking, we would think it would be Paul based on what he did. But what we're going to discover from Paul is that he did not give in to shame. 
that, that he did not give into shame-based thinking. Instead, he gives us the key to overcoming shame, to overcoming this ghost of Christmas past. And we look back in his letter to the Corinthians. Here's what Paul says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hey, I don't deserve to be a church leader. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I don't deserve to be who I am. But it's by the grace of God, it's by God's gift of grace, I am who I am. And here, Paul is giving us the key to overcome our shame. This is the solution to our shame. It's God's gift of grace. And grace is arguably the most important term in all of Christianity. In fact, I think the best definition I've heard of grace is this, is that grace is getting what we don't deserve. Paul said, here's what I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be who I am, but it's God's gift of grace. I am who I am. Now, for us to better understand what grace is, we have to first realize this one truth. And that is, like Paul, we most, know, most of us know this, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of falling short of God's standard. In fact, when we read through Scripture, it's called sin, where we fall short of God's perfect standard. And here's how we know we're all guilty. We can't even keep our own standards. You know, we, we, we kind of put our own standards in place, and we don't even rise up to those. And so we are all guilty of falling short of God's standard. And so since we're all guilty, we realize that guilt leads to consequences. Uh, a couple months ago, I was invited to teach at one of our partner churches, and uh, it was the first time I got to visit this church and, and speak there and, and, and drive to that town. And so I drove there, and I'm following all the instructions on Google Maps. And right when I kind of pulled right in front of where I'm going to speak at, I see the flashing lights in my rearview mirror. And, I, and I'm being pulled over, and the police officer knocks on my window and, and says, hey, hey uh, do you know how fast you were going? And, and, and I told him how fast I was going. He's like, okay, okay. Different question. Do you know what the speed limit is here? And, uh, and I said, well, I think, it's, I think it's 40. And he's like, no, you're in a 25 mile per hour. It, it dropped just back there. I was like, oh, that would be helpful to know. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that. And so he's like, okay, you're guilty. You know, and I'm watching this kind of all play out. I, I'm right across the street from where I'm supposed to be speaking at. I see the parking team. They're setting everything up and they're waving cars in. I'm like, I'm going to be late. This is not good. But because I'm guilty... He goes and he gives me my consequence of a $95 speeding ticket. And I'm like, oh, oh. And, and, and when we realize that we are all guilty of falling short of God's standard, we realize that there is a consequence. And what the consequence is, is that our relationship with God is broken. And with a broken relationship with God, that just paves the way for shame to come to us and shame to say, you're no good. You're not enough. You're inadequate. But Paul tells us it's by God's gift of grace that I don't have to deal with this guilt and with this shame. And, and what God's gift of grace is, is it's, it's the standing of guilt before God, and it just removes that standing altogether. It's as if we were never guilty and didn't have to experience shame altogether. Which is why Paul could say, I don't deserve to be a church leader. I don't deserve to have what I have. I don't deserve to be the leader among you guys but it's by God's gift of grace. I am what I am, and I don't have to deal with shame. 
Now, last week, I mentioned uh, that, that I spent a part of this summer just kind of a, a, um, meeting with a counselor about once a week just to kind of get a little bit more emotionally healthy and trying to kind of spend some time there. And as we were talking about my relationships, I would use the phrase over and over again, uh, not good enough. And he pointed that out to me. He's like, Tyler, you know, you're describing your relationship with your wife and, and, and being a dad to your kids and as a pastor and as a boss and as an employee, you know, you just kind of like list all the ways that you fall short and you say that you're not good enough. And he said, this is what shame is telling you, that, that you're not good enough. And, and, and he walked me through this exercise that was so helpful uh, that I wanted to share uh, with us here. And what he did is he, he drew up this quadrant here. And, and this quadrant is based on shame and guilt, whether you're experiencing shame or whether you're experiencing guilt. And he says, all of us um, fall in one of these four quadrants. And so this first quadrant is where there's no shame and there's guilt. And this is where an individual has caused pain to someone else, but they're unaware of it. They hurt somebody, but for whatever reason, they just don't know that they hurt someone else, and so therefore they have not experienced shame. Shame has not uh, told them uh, shame's message. Now, some of us fall in that quadrant. A lot of us will fall into this quadrant where we realize that we're guilty, that we hurt someone else, we cause pain for someone, and because of that, we're aware of the guilt, and because of that, shame has come to us and has twisted guilt's message to us and said, you're bad, you're no good, you're not enough, you don't measure up. And then still there's some of us that may fall in this quadrant here, where maybe there's no guilt, maybe they haven't caused pain to someone else, maybe they haven't hurt someone, but yet shame has come to them anyways and has told them uh, that they are bad or they're, they're not enough or they're disgusting or whatever it is, um, even though they have not caused hurt or pain for someone else. This, this might be a person who uh, has first uh, received God's gift of grace and they've been forgiven, but they're not living as if they're forgiven. Or this might be someone who uh, um, it, it wasn't their fault, but they think it was their fault, like a child, you know, whose parents are going through a divorce and, and thinks, oh, it's my fault that they got a divorce, which ultimately it wasn't, but they're still holding on that, to that shame altogether. But regardless, if you find yourself in any of these three quadrants, the goal is still the same, and that is that we would move to this quadrant where there is no guilt or no shame. And the way that we get to this quadrant is the same way even if you're in one of these three. And it's the same way as Paul's. It is by God's gift of grace, where God invites all of us to receive his gift of grace so that all of our guilt charges and all of shame's message would just go away. The solution to our shame is God's gift of grace. Or what we learn from Paul, what we want to do to overcome this ghost of Christmas past is to move our focus from what I've done to who Jesus is. We just shift the focus from the hurt and the pain that we've caused others, and we focus on who God is, and we look at the gift of grace that he offers each and every single one of us. See, when we focus on ourselves and we hear the message that shame sends us, in all reality, part of it is actually really true. Like if you, if you came to me and said, hey, Tyler, you know what? I'm not a good person. You know, I've done bad, therefore I am bad. And my response to that, and this isn't a popular response because sometimes we might compare ourselves to others around us like, hey, you know, I didn't do as bad as that person or as bad as that person. But, but honestly, when we look at God's standard, God's standard is Jesus. 
And none of us live up to that standard of Jesus. We've all fallen short. We're all guilty. We've all done bad. So there, there's a part of it that's true, that, that, that we're bad. Or if you would come to me and say, hey, Tyler, I'm, I'm inadequate. I don't measure up. You know, I, I, I don't fully line up. Well, again, this isn't popular to say, but when the standard is Jesus, we all fall short. And so if all we focus is on ourselves, we're going to only see our shortcomings or where we uh, fall short. But God's gift of grace, when we move our focus from who we are and what we've done to who Jesus is, we can receive that gift of grace and we experience what God wants uh, for, for us. And so as we head into this Christmas season, I want to give us an exercise to help us do this. And so that is on my right, on your left, uh, there are some baskets uh, that I just invite you to just go ahead and pass them down your row. They're available at all of our campuses. And in those baskets, there's a card. So just go ahead and take one card and hold on to it. If you're watching in online, you can just grab a piece of paper or a note card and, and, uh, and just to grab a pen and you can join us this way. But on that card, you're going to see a couple phrases. And that fr those phrases are going to help us move our focus from what we've done to who Jesus is. And so that first phrase that you'll see on that card will go like this. You'll say, I am not blank. And in just a couple moments, I'm going to have you fill in the blank uh, of what that is. And, and what you'll want to put in that blank is what shame has said to you. And I don't know what that is for you, but, but my bet is, is you know what shame has told you. And so for some of us, we'll write, well, I am not bad. Or I am not um, inadequate. Or I am not disgusting and unlovable. Or I am not broken. I don't know what that message has been to you, but shame has that message to us. And, and it's just began to kind of warp our view of ourselves. And so I want us to write that down. But then in a couple moments, we'll write down uh, the next part to this phrase. And that is, well, because of God's gift of grace, I am blank. And this is when we begin to move our focus from what we've done to who Jesus is. And who Jesus is, he's full of grace. And because of that, I am, what would that be for you? For some of us, our card will look like, well, I am not bad, but because of God's gift of grace, I am forgiven. Or I am not unlovable. But because of God's gift of grace, I am loved. Or I am not inadequate, but because of God's gift of grace, I am more than enough. See, as we uh, wrap up this series together, my hope for us is that we would realize that you are not what you've done in the past. You are not what others have done to you. You are not what others have said about you. You are not what, uh, what you think you are. But rather, if you've received God's gift of grace, you are what God says about you. And all throughout Scripture, here's what God says about you. You are free. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are healed. You are chosen. You are a child of God. And so in just a moment, in, in all of our campuses, the band is going to play a song. And while they start playing that song, I want you to stay seated. And I want you to, to write out your responses uh, on that card. And I want you to take a few moments and really think about this and pray about this. As this is our time to shift from what we've done or what has happened to us and to focus on who Jesus is. And then the band's going to ask us to stand and sing. And then we will wrap up all together. 
But before we do that, I just want to share one more passage with us. And this passage was written 700 years before Jesus was even born, a long time before the first Christmas happened. But it was written in a way to help us understand exactly why we celebrate Christmas and how Jesus came to deal with our ghosts of Christmas past. The author Isaiah said this, Fear not. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. This is God's gift of grace to you and to me. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is how we find healing from our shame when we move our focus from what we've done to who Jesus is. So the band's going to play. I want us to write down and respond to our cards. And then when they're done, we'll wrap up all together.